Okay, so we'll start recording. <laughs> Three, two, one. Hi! Hey, what's up? This is Todd. Hi, this is Jim, and welcome to Beards with Beards. Huh? <laughs> I'm curious about one thing, Micronaut, for example, how you came out with Micronaut, because even you wrote a book that it's there published, that you can do things with Micronaut on top of OCI. How does it come there? Huh? Um, that's a good question, uh, because it's a difficult juggling act, right? Because think about it. When you're talking, when you're writing books, when you're writing blog posts, when you're doing presentations, um, you're not always going to have the luxury of this. But what you really want mm -hmm. is you want to have a topic that you care about, that you're passionate about, that you you know that means something to you. Because when you have a topic that you care about and that's interesting to you, that that means something to you, that passion is going to come through the writing. It's going to come through the speaking. It's going to show to everybody who listens to you talk about that. They're going to know this is something that this guy cares about. It means something to him. Because those kind of talks and those kind of analogies and examples that you give resonate with people, right? Because it's something yeah. that means something to you, something you're passionate about. Um, but you have to balance that at the same time with what the community cares about and what people want to hear about and what people want to learn about, right? So Micronaut mm -hmm. is something that I'm passionate about uh, because um, I think it's a great framework. I uh, It was written by the I, – I previously was very involved in the Groovy and Grails community uh, back when I was a developer since going back to about 20, 2011. So uh, I was really, I really loved Grails as a framework, and the creators of Grails came up with this new framework for Java, Kotlin, and Groovy uh, called Micronaut. So I started learning about it, and and uh, you know, going to conferences, and so a lot of it is what you see people are interested in as well when you go to these conferences. When you're sitting there at the bar having a beer with somebody, what they're talking about. You pick up on these things. And I told you this the other day, right? Uh, so much of my job is being a member of the community. And it's not about um, – I'm not a salesperson. I'm not a yeah. marketing person. I'm just a member of these communities. And that's one thing that can be challenging about developer advocacy is that sometimes the message you deliver might not be the message that the company wants to hear. Sometimes – you just have to say, hey, look, yeah. we're just not there yet with, with X or Y. We're That's just true. not there yet. This is better than us, but we're working to get here and we're going to get here. So you just have to be a developer. You have to be a member of the communities and you have to uh, be legit. You have to be straight. And if you, if you believe in something, say it. Say it loud and say it proud. But if you don't believe in something, you can't. I consider myself tech agnostic. Right. So when speaking with CIOs and going there and saying, you're using this technology, there's no need to replace with something that I'm bringing because you don't have your return of investment. You're still investing in that. It doesn't make sense if I'm trying to sell you something that then in three years you will say, hey, I spent a lot of money. I didn't do anything here and I feel like, like you make me into the wrong business. huh? There's no perfect cloud there. It all has 
very cool things, but there are things that doesn't meet your expectations, things that create problems with your workloads, stuff like that. How can we develop new services to help you fulfill those requirements, right? And they just grab a coffee just to tell what's the journey of the cloud, how we see the cloud in the next few years. Is there something cool? And it's funny to, well, it's grateful, to be honest, when you sit with people that they trust on what you're saying and they just consider a trust advisor. It's really, really handy. But I've, I've always had these questions about developers. Huh? That is usually, you have code developers, people that love coding. With all this cloud stuff, people create things and they just pulled from repos out there on GitHub, GitLab. How you crash in traditional, well, not say traditional, let's say enterprise, IT companies with security teams because you are going farther the boundaries of security. And I always think, man, legal security approvals all those things that developers at the end you need to be agile you need to speed up it's time to market it's things that you pull out there but you found now the traditional enterprise that i know change advisory boards you go over all these approvals you cannot put a hello world out there without specific things huh? how do you manage that um how does a developer manage that or how do i manage that well let's say a developer Okay, because my philosophy is it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. But I, you know, obviously, I would never compromise security uh, when it comes to an application. Security is number one. But um, so I used to work at a company who did a lot of work for the U.S. government. Um, so that's a good example of of a uh, end, you know, a a client of ours who we were a consulting firm who obviously had a very high uh, desire for secure applications and for you know very low tolerance for insecure applications so there was all kinds of you know code scanning and 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 um, this kind of things that is required when it comes to deploying those applications um, so I think it's a matter of, like any developer, I mean, it's, 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 you go back to Stack Overflow, and the, the old argument is, you know, a bad developer is just a copy paste developer, right? <laughs> you should never just take a sample of code that you see on the internet, just copy yeah. it and paste it in your application. And it's the same with any kind of external dependencies or libraries that you're pulling in. You should know what's in that, you should understand what it's doing to some extent. Um, you know, and, and, and have the tools in place. Uh, GitHub has, does a really good job of scanning for vulnerabilities now, you know, and, and telling you, hey, you have a, a vulnerable dependency in your project. You need to do something about this. I think it goes even beyond the tools, huh? Because there's company that wants to be, I want to turn into a DevOps thing, but you don't change the culture. And if you don't change the culture and the way you operate, you will never, yeah, you can have the tools, you can have the people, but we, you will get stuck there. Huh? will not be able if you don't change all the process there. Huh? And that's there's true. something funny because I usually find that speaking with people, I have a bunch of developers here. They're the best of the best there, but they're building tools. So you're spending thousands of dollars to create tools rather than services. Wouldn't I, if I'm the CTO or the CIO of a company, wouldn't I pay for these guys to create services rather than creating tools? There should be frameworks out there that I can just leverage and create all my uh, pipelines, everything, continuous <laughs> integration, deployment. There should be, but what if there's not? 
I guess you know is the question. Uh, and you have to do, you do have to be careful with this because it's like everything, man. It's like you know you can reinvent the wheel, uh, if, and you could create a tool or or something that already exists that does the job perfectly. So yeah, you don't want to do that if there's a tool out there that you can get your hands on. You remember Worker that was acquired by Oracle. It was the platform. You already have it there. You don't need to install Jenkins and create and maintain and keep all those plugins. You have hundred things, hundred things you need to maintain. It's I always see things. I'm a dummy guy and I always say it. I need to draw to understand things. And I want things really, really simple. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um and not only simple, G, it has to be intuitive. Do you know what I mean by that? It has to be I can look at, so an SDK is a perfect, or an API is a perfect example. It has to be intuitive. And what that means is when I take an SDK and I perform a, a list, uh, list bucket request, for example, um, I should kind of already know that the response of that is going to be a list bucket response, right? It should be, I should be able to guess what how the, the what the other API methods are called based on it should be consistent it should be intuitive you should easily know as a developer how to perform some function and it, it, it you may be wrong but you're going to be darn close when you if you if you were to guess on a certain method right consistency yeah. and intuitive those are two hugely important things when it comes to developing software that I think some people overlook.